This morning we're in Ephesians chapter 3. I encourage you to, to take a Bible and, and turn or turn it on to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. And uh, one of those is so you'll learn the book and know the book, understand it. That throughout our life, when you revisit Ephesians and read it on your own, you'll remember hopefully some of the things that you learn uh, through this time of preaching. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, we'll begin in verse 1. Uh, the way the book of Ephesians works is essentially chapters 1 through 3 talk a lot about what God has done. Uh, chapter 1, spiritual blessings that come from God. Chapter 2, essentially how God has changed you by grace, what you were and what you now are. Chapter 3 is different. It's autobiographical. Paul talks a lot about himself and kind of what he's doing. We learn a lot about Paul's ministry, uh, which is instructive in chapter 3. And then verses 4 through 6, the, the, it, it turns essentially to talk to, about how we should now live. So chapters 1 through 3 about what God has done, and chapters 4 through 6, how we should live. Or another way to look at it, chapters 1 through 3, what it means to be in Christ, and then chapters 4 through 6, how to live in the church. We pick it up in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, where Paul is going to share a lot about his ministry. Chapter 3 and verse 1, the scripture says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you could perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Well, this week was a, an exciting week for me personally because I got to begin reading The Hound of the Baskervilles with Gideon, my son. It means a lot to me because I'm a big fan of Sherlock Holmes. Just, uh, he's my, one of my favorite literary characters of all times. And, and, and you know, these Sherlock Holmes stories are, are mysteries. And when you think of a mystery, you think of something that is unknown, something that's unexplained. Well, for the people that were living in the times of the Old Testament and were receiving the Word of God from the prophets and from Moses and, and had the, the Word of God that we call the Old Testament, which is really a collection of books, it's kind of like a library uh, that are inspired by God with similar themes, there was a lot of mystery about what God was doing and what God was going to do. Essentially, if you read the Old Testament, there are a lot of loose ends the need to be tied up. In fact, the, the Old Testament ends, the last book chronologically, and in your Old Testament is the book of Malachi. If you read the last sentences of that book, it's like a cliffhanger. God has something yet that he is going to do. It has an anticipation of more to come. 
And there's a lot of promises in the Old Testament that are not yet fulfilled. So the, the, the people in those days were living essentially with some mystery. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And then Jesus sends out the apostles. And the apostles explain Jesus. And, that's, and, and they explain his work and how God is working through Jesus. That's what you have in the book of Ephesians. That's what you have in Ephesians chapter 3. You have Paul the apostle explaining what God is now doing and what God has done through Jesus Christ. And part of what we see in, in chapter 3 is this idea of mystery. That there were things that were previously unrevealed to God's people, but now they have been revealed. And at the heart of that is this truth that the Gentiles, non-Jews, everyone who believes will be part of the people of God. That's what our passage is about. And essentially in this context, we see a lot of information about Paul's ministry. So that's how I'm going to try to explain the text. First of all, we see Paul's ministry was for the Gentiles. Look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So notice it has this flavor of I'm here for you Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So he's serving on their behalf. He's been given grace by God for them. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. One of the things you see in the New Testament is Paul describes himself and part of his mission as he had a mission specifically for the Gentiles. And by Gentile, I mean essentially anyone who's not a Jew. What you have in the Old Testament is, is you have the 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 descendants of Abraham, and, and God reveals himself through the descendants of Abraham, and God works through them. He works through the nation of Israel. But this is one of the things that now is going to change with the coming of Christ and the gospel, and Paul the apostle is essentially on the front line, or he is at the tip of the spear in taking the gospel now to all nations, to the Gentiles, to all people. Whenever Jesus Christ first called Paul the apostle, on the road to Damascus, look at what Jesus Christ says about him. This is Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, go, now this is talking about Paul the Apostle, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Incidentally, that's exactly what happens in the book of Acts. Jesus uses Paul as a chosen vessel to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles, to kings, and to Israel. Look at how Paul describes himself in Romans chapter 11, verse 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. This is how Paul explains his work. He is reaching out to the Gentiles with the gospel. This idea of this mystery, well, how is it known? Look in verse 3. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, that Paul and the other apostles received this reality about what God is now doing by direct revelation from God. Look at it in Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's Paul the Apostle 
receiving this revelation. Look at verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So notice there that this idea of this mystery that has not been previously known, it's not been previously made known, it's not been previously revealed, but now it has been known. Now it has been made, it has been revealed. And look at it there in verse 5, now been revealed to his holy apostles, of which Paul is one, and prophets by the Spirit, by the Spirit. That you see from very early on in Jesus' ministry, he surrounds himself with 12 men. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all explicit to name them. Because these authors want you to know historically who these men are that Jesus is sending out for this specific purpose of carrying his name and his witness. And then later, Paul describes himself as a person who's born kind of out of time in 1 Corinthians 15. He was made an apostle. So you have the 12 and you have Paul who function in this specific, unusual, and special way receiving direct revelation from God about what he's doing. That God speaks specifically and reveals himself to the apostles about what he's doing. Then we receive that from what they have written. Now let me show you some scripture that that will highlight that. Because that's really important to understand. Because essentially it comes down to what teachers do you listen to? What do you build your faith on? Who are you going to believe? I mean, why not just follow Muhammad? What's fundamentally different in what Muhammad said and taught, a man who claimed to receive divine revelation? Or from Joseph Smith, a man who claimed to receive divine revelation from the Apostle Paul and Peter and the other apostles? It's a very important question. Look at what the Scripture says. Look at, look at how Peter explains this reality that this is revealed to them by the Spirit of God. Acts 1.16. And in looking at this, you get an idea about what you have in the, the Word of God, the written Word of God, what it is, how it came to be, and why it's important. Acts 1.16. Peter speaking. Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now look what he says here. Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. So Scripture, what is written, is spoken by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. Look at Acts chapter 4, a very similar statement. Acts chapter 4, in fact, this one adds another layer to that explanation. Acts 4, 24 and 25. This is the church. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? So here you see a confession of the whole church. The first church, mind you. And look at how they begin this prayer and this confession. Sovereign Lord, 
That's, that, that's one of the layers this adds. It's, it's, a, it's addressing God. It's talking about the Lord, the God of gods. The Lord who made heaven and earth and everything in them, who through the mouth... So see the who there? God, through the mouth of David, said... This is God saying, through David, by the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? There's your doctrine of Scripture. God speaks by men through the Spirit. And you have what's written. Because you know what he quotes? He quotes Psalm 2. The Word of God through the mediation of men by the power of the Spirit of God. One more text. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation. Meaning that the Bible isn't like other books in Barnes & Noble. It's not like other authors. Well, here's my interpretation on marriage. Here's what I think about child-rearing. Here's what I think about which car is the best. That would be someone's own interpretation. Notice how Scripture is different. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now look at how Paul is describing how this gospel for the nations was revealed in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to pick it back up in verse 4. When you read this, you may perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to Here's, here's who it's been revealed to, his holy apostles and prophets, by the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Friends, this is why you should listen to the apostles. This is why our faith is based on the apostles. This is why what we believe, it's not based on what we think, it's not based on some teacher like me, it's based on what God says by the Spirit in his word. That's what you should base your beliefs on, your faith on, your teaching on, your life on. And again, it's, 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 it's always important, but it's become all the more important in our day as you have people claiming to speak for God. This is not something new. It's been a reality all through history, but, but now you have people who are Christians claiming, God said this to me for you. Well, friends, God has revealed His plans and His purposes in His Word for you. So base what you believe on that. This is, this is how God has revealed this mystery. And look at what the mystery is. Here it is very specifically in verse 6. Hopefully this is clear. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. Something not revealed beforehand, but it's now revealed. Look at it and let's break this down. The Gentiles, non-Jews... Fellow heirs. This is all Old Testament language. They're heirs of the promises of the Old Testament. They're fellow heirs. They're also members of the same body. Now they're part of the, the people of God. The body there being the people of God. Not only that, they're partakers of the same promise. What does he mean by that? Probably chapter 1, where he calls the Spirit the Spirit of promise. But notice it's in Christ Jesus... This is, this is how all the blessings of God come to his people. It's in Christ, and notice it's through the gospel, which we'll spend next week unpacking, Lord willing.
in Christ through the gospel. The, the mystery is the Gentiles are now the people of, are, are included in the people of God. And that's revolutionary, historically. If you look at the, 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 the expanding history about how God has dealt with people, well, you, you see it in, in the history of the Jews, that God very clearly wanted his people Israel to be separate from the nations. They were separate in what they ate. They, were, they weren't allowed to eat certain foods. This, this made them distinct from the nations. They worshipped one God. That made them distinct from the nations. They had very specific worship practices that made them distinct from the nations. They regarded one day as holy and set apart. That made them distinct from the nations. God wanted it to be very clear to the nations that his people were different. Now among the Jews, sadly, this often created an air of superiority among them. And even a disgust and a disdain for the nations. So what you, what you have early in the history of the church, if you look at the book of Acts, as the gospel is spreading and people are believing, early in the history of the church, God reveals something about this to Peter, again, one of his apostles. And God makes it very clear to Peter. It's important that it's to Peter because Peter was a leader. God makes it clear that the Gentiles are now included in the people of God through the gospel. Look at that in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. This is, this is when Peter has been summoned by Cornelius, a Roman. So this Roman centurion named Cornelius, a Gentile, has summoned Peter to hear the gospel. And here, look at what Peter says to him. And you get a little bit of this flavor of this historic animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles. Look at Acts 10, 28. This is Peter speaking, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And then you know what Peter does? He preaches the gospel. And in that section of Acts, just like you have all through the book of Acts, you have this great explanation and proclamation of the gospel. Let me read the concluding sentence of that. Acts 10.43. Here's the conclusion of Peter preaching to Cornelius. This is about Jesus, Peter speaking. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now you see how that could be relevant to Cornelius and to anybody? Everyone who believes in him. That, that is very un-Jewish historically. But that's the gospel. That's one of the things that's changed now with the coming of Christ. That's the mystery of Christ. Something previously unrevealed, but now revealed. One more scripture in Acts 22. This is when Paul has been essentially apprehended in Jerusalem. He's essentially captured by a mob of Jews. And he's, he's telling them essentially his story. What's happened to him. Acts 22 verses 21 and 22. And he, said, and he said to me, this is Paul relating Jesus' command to him. Go, for I send you far away to the Gentiles. So that's, there again is Paul recognizing Jesus has commanded me to go to the Gentiles. Now look at how the Jews in Jerusalem react when Paul says that to them in verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. 
This is so important to understand if you're going to read your New Testament. This controversy of Jews, Gentiles being included in the people of God is the biggest controversy in the, the New Testament era. And it's the background for many of the books. In fact, just take the book of Romans, which can be a hard book to read. Read the book of Romans with lenses on, with the lenses of Paul is writing to Jews trying to explain to them the salvation of the Gentiles. That's at the heart of the book of Romans. This is why when Paul is writing Romans, he writes the thesis verse in Romans 1.16 and says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he's going to expand on how the fact is God saves people who have faith regardless of their nationality. This is Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. One other thing that I want you to see this morning from this passage is Paul's ministry was by grace. Paul's ministry was by grace. And this is just simply seen by reading the text and and looking at what Paul emphasizes. Look at it in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul views his service to God and to Jesus Christ as by grace. Therefore, if you want to serve God, which you should, if you're a Christian, you should serve the Lord, you should view your service to the Lord as by grace. Look at some of the language he uses. He at first, in verse 1, introduces himself as a prisoner. Three times, at least in Ephesians, Paul is going to refer to himself as a prisoner. Verse 3. He calls it the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. There's a stewardship. And every Christian has a stewardship. A stewardship is essentially the responsibility to take care of what God has entrusted to you. And notice this stewardship is by grace. It's by grace. When I say grace, I mean the favor of God that is unearned or undeserved. That is what the scripture means by this word. It means the kindness of God given to you even though you don't deserve it and you didn't earn it. That's why it's utterly mind-blowing and really different than anything else you experience in this life. Paul says of his ministry in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God I am what I am. By the grace of God I am what I am. That's the testimony of every Christian. I'm a steward of his grace I'm supposed to be a steward. You should also see yourself as a servant. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. The word there is servant. Only the NIV translates it rightly, as far as the translations I looked at. Most translations translate it minister. I don't like that word because it communicates like this formal, clerical role that I exercise as a pastor. I don't like the word minister. 
It's the word servant. It's the word diakonos. It's the word from which we get deacon. It means just a general servant. It's a word that refers to every Christian in the New Testament. Every Christian is a servant. And here's the key for us when we think about, or how we should think about, serving God. It's the way Paul thinks about his service. I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. That's how you should view your service. Is it's by grace. It's given to me from him, by him, through the working of his power. Well, what's that going to do in your life? Why is that important? Well, a few things. First of all, if you recognize your, your service to God is by grace, it creates humility, or it should. It creates humility. Let me show you. Look, it did in Paul's life. Here's, 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 one, of the, here's one of the great intellects of history, Paul the Apostle. Regardless of what you think about him, he wrote things that have influenced people for thousands of years, literally. An incredible, towering intellect, Paul the Apostle. But look at what he says about himself because of grace. Verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. And the word there, least, is literally the word leastest. It's a superlative. Among all Christians, Paul views himself as least. There's a, there's a Christian leader's right and biblical perspective of himself. Among all those Christians, I'm the very least. That's how Paul viewed himself. Because, why? Because he received grace. Received, he understood himself to be undeserving of this. And it creates in him this humility. This is about God's work. It's not about my gifting. It's not about what a great thing I can do. It's about how deserving I am and how amazing it is that God would give me grace despite myself. If you serve God in recognition of it's, it's by grace, my salvation's by grace and my service is by grace, it, we recognize it's only because of Him, not because of anything in me. It changes our outlook and our perspective. It's not about our plan. It's not about our plan or our purposes. Paul's Ministry in this passage demonstrates that, that this is not about human planning, it's about divine provision. This idea about going to the Gentiles, this is not Paul's plan. This is Jesus' plan for him. This is, it's not about human ingenuity, it's about divine initiation. It's not like Paul thinking, well, okay, this is going to be a, a good thing for me to do to go to the Gentiles. N no. This is by grace. This is God's initiation and plan and purpose. Therefore, it's not about human contemplation. It's about divine commission. Just like all of the Christian life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you live for Him, you do what He says because He's Lord. You make disciples because He's Lord. It's divine commission. This is not Paul's idea. This idea about going to the Gentiles, this work of God about taking the gospel to all people. It's not about human pragmatism. It's about divine prerogative. What I mean by that is, and especially when people think about and talk about serving the Lord today, there is this, I think, corruption, but at least influence of pragmatism, this idea of, well, what is going to work, right? What's going to work to reach the nations with the gospel? What's going to work? 
Well, what, if you're thinking about how do you reach the nations, how do you reach people with the gospel, do you think going to prison might be a good idea? That's pragmatic, right? It's the opposite. You want to reach people? Go to jail. Well, that's exactly what happened to Paul. It worked out pretty good for the Philippian jailer and his family, didn't it? And furthermore, Paul, on another incarceration, arrested again, goes to jail. You see, ministry is by grace. It's, not, it's by God's grace and power and working. It's not about human pr- pragmatism and human plotting. It's by grace. Paul writes to the Philippians from jail in Philippians, I believe it's 112 or 13. The things that have happened to me have really served to advance the gospel. Advance the gospel. The word of God is not bound. How are you going to reach the Gentiles? Well, it's by grace. One, one other piece of application. When you look at Paul's ministry by grace. Ephesians, three times he refers himself to a, as a prisoner. 2 Corinthians... I mean, you get just a little bit of autobiography here in Ephesians 3. 2 Corinthians, almost the entire letter, is Paul talking about his ministry. And you know what he talks about a lot in 2 Corinthians? His suffering. His suffering. How did he make it through that? I mean, all this being beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked. How, how did he survive that? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. His grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for me. That's how you survive it. You survive it the same way he did, by grace. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means you depend on God. You depend on his resources. Aren't his resources greater than yours? To serve him? Do you think making disciples is challenging? Evangelism is challenging? Living the Christian life, being faithful is challenging? Yes! How do you do that? By grace, you depend on God's help. You depend on God for wisdom. You depend on God for strength. You depend on God for perseverance. You depend on God for all things. If in our own strength we did confide, our striving would be losing. It's by grace. And when you do that, when you depend on God, when you look at what Paul says here, you don't read Ephesians 3 and and, and come up with, my goodness, Paul is such a great, amazing guy. You miss the point if that's what you come up with. You come up with, my goodness, God's grace is amazing. And then you do what Ephesians 1 says you should do. It's to the praise of the glory of His grace. You praise and exalt God. How do you talk about serving the Lord? What is our vocabulary like when we talk about serving God? It should be flavored by grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. This is only by grace. And you see, when you do that, you point other people to God and you point other people to Christ. We don't want to talk about serving God in such a way that points the attention to us. As if, look what I did. Or look what I can do or what I'm capable of. That's not what Paul the Apostle does. For him, it's by grace, by grace, by grace. Use language that shows the world you're different. You're doing this because of the grace of God. And by the grace of God, let's pray together. Lord, I I pray I haven't muddled this and that you'd be clear that throughout the ages, you've now revealed to your apostles and prophets by the Spirit what was previously unrevealed, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that the, the Gentiles are included as fellow heirs, for which we thank you, Lord. We thank you 
most of us being Gentiles, God, we praise your name that through Jesus Christ, through the gospel, we're fellow heirs and receive the promises in him. So help us to rejoice in that. Recognize your plan and your purpose and praise you for it. That even in South Mississippi, God, you have people, your people. Help us to stand in awe of this fact. God, as we serve you, help us to serve you in the strength you provide that you would be glorified in all things. Help us to depend on you for grace. And God, I pray you'd grant us grace to serve, to be faithful, to persevere, to endure, to do your work, to do what you've called us to do. And God, that we'd live in such a way like Paul that we'd recognize ourselves as least of all saints and that we have this stewardship of grace and that we're made servants because of your grace at work in us. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us to exalt you rightly because of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand together. The call is, the pressing need is always to Turn from your sins, which will condemn you to, to Jesus, that God provided Jesus as a sacrifice that you could be forgiven of all your sins. That's the, good, that's the reason the gospel is good news. and It's that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he was raised from the dead. And you being a Gentile are commanded by God to repent and to call on his name, which you should do. You should trust the Lord Jesus Christ.